Welcome to KathleenWitten.org. We believe that Kathleen's message will inspire you, encourage you, and give you a fresh perspective on life. Now, here's Kathleen. If we profess ourselves to be Christians, disciples of Jesus, and this is just my proposal, this is what I am putting out there, we profess ourselves to be like Jesus Christ, then we should know and live, quote, unquote, the message of the cross. We should know and live the message of the cross, okay? But you ask most Christians, and and even me, I'm not professing to say that I know, um, you know, I can recognize every Bible verse or whatever, but just because God's led me to, to study humility, probably because I was full of pride, but um, that he message of the cross kept coming up to me. And in 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, the message of the cross, and we should know this because this is the message that we're supposed to be living. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Okay, but what is the message of the cross? We know that it's foolishness to the world, but it's power to us who believe. God, the creator of all, this is the message of the cross, humbled himself, humbled. This was his action to become one of his created. He humbled himself to become a man. That's the message of the cross. Who died on a cross for our sins. He humbly went to the cross. He humbled himself to obey and go to the cross. But the whole premise of what I'm saying is that the the message of the cross is salvation. Yes, but it's also humility. God humbled himself. You know, if someone says, Kathleen, what is the message of the cross? Now I can say not just, well, it's the gospel. Or um, it's just, you remember Jesus died on the cross. Now I can say the message of the cross is that God humbled himself. God humbled himself. The message of the cross is humility. Philippians 2.6 says, Although Christ existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The message of the cross is that God humbled himself to become a man, and then that man, Jesus, humbled himself, as it says in Philippians 2.8, to be obedient to death, even crucifixion, the most painful death that exists. Why? I mean, why would God humble himself? It all goes back to love, you know? And if you, if you will start thinking about that, humility, linking it with love, pride, linking it with not love, <laughs> we'll be doing better in our lives. John 3.16 says the reason that, that, that God humbled himself to become Jesus And Jesus, or basically to send Jesus as a man, and Jesus, part of the Trinity, humbled himself to go to the cross. Why? Because we know this verse, because God so loved 
God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God humbled himself because he so loved. And we're to be doing the same thing. Think about that in our lives, in our daily lives. Seriously, think about that. Do you humble yourself because you so love? Do you connect those two? Because this John 3.16 is what we're supposed to be living. It's pretty much the verse that every Christian knows. So we humble ourselves because we so love. It doesn't say we so love so we tell other people what to do. It doesn't say we so love so we worry about other people. It doesn't say we so love so we think that we know what they should be doing and they're not doing, but we wish they were doing. And if they were doing, then they would be happier because we know, because we so love. It doesn't say that. It says we so love just like God. And, 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 and we're to love like God. And he gave his only begotten son because he so loved. He humbled himself. Philippians 2.3 says... To us, again, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Huh? What? Are you saying that I should regard someone else in their time and, 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 and their, them as more important than me? Um, let's reread it. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, Philippians 2, 3, but with humility of mind. See, it's, it's a mind. It's a state of mind. Humility is a state of mind. Humility meets someone and doesn't think, oh, this person is more important than me or less important than me. Humility goes into a room and, and responds to the Holy Spirit's promptings to speak to whoever that person is that, that the Holy Spirit wants you to speak to. Humility is, is a state of mind, and we shouldn't leave that state of mind. As soon as we do, we're into pride. It's not leave humility and then you're into nothing. <laughs> you leave humility, you're into pride. You know? You meet someone and they're just talking on and on and on and on and on and on about their life, especially like on an airplane, you know? And I, I don't know why. I always sit next to the person that talks incessantly. And, you know, you try every way in the world to, like, get out a book or fall asleep or get out your Bible and pretend like you're really studying for something or, you know, get on the phone and fake call someone even though you're not even supposed to be on your cell phone. I mean, look, be honest, all the stuff we try. And, and including things like, wow, I've just had such a long week. I just, I am going to go to sleep now. But it's been so nice meeting you. Are we considering them and their needs and, and who they are and what God might have us sitting next to them for? Or are we in a mindful state of, you know, I'm really kind of more important and my time is more important than this person. I mean, this person, seriously. I mean, their haircut, come on, you know? We do think like this, come on, what they're talking about. How to burn lasagna, I don't care. Who cares? Who cares about lasagna? Who cares about how to burn it? Who wants to know how to burn it? I don't want to know how to burn it. I want to know how to not burn it. 
Why are they so lonely? That's not my problem, is it? Really? As a Christian, you know, we're to do nothing from emptiness or conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than ourselves. Do you? Do I? Do you regard one another as more important? In other words, do you live a sacrificial life? Are you willing to sacrifice your time? Are you willing to sacrifice your sleep? Are you willing to sacrifice to love someone else? Are you willing to sacrifice being right? Are you willing to... That's a big one. Let me go backwards. Are you willing to sacrifice being right to love someone else? You do it once. It feels really strange. You do it again feels really good you do it again and it feels like jesus has just filled you up to overflowing the more we follow him the more we're like him philippians 2 4 says don't merely look out for your own personal interests but also for the interests of others have this attitude in yourself which was also in jesus christ you know are we continually not only looking out for our own personal interests but the interests of others What's in the best interest of Elizabeth today? What's in the best interest of my husband today? What's in the best interest of my sister today? God, show me. I can't say what's in the best interest of the whole world, but I know that I can get out of myself and out of my problems and out of thinking about what is in the best interest of me and go to your will and say, what is in your best interest, God? Show me. The last, you said the last will be first and the first will be last. The lowly, lowliest on earth will be those that are probably the highest in heaven. And he that exalted himself on earth is not only humbled by God, but you don't receive any reward in heaven. We're supposed to be seeking secret things. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing, you know. Have that reward in heaven, and that comes through humility. But humility, of course, is foolishness to the world. It's completely opposite to what the world immerses us in. Completely opposite if you think about it. I think of all the people in the world that admire themselves because they're rich and famous and they're mostly full of themselves. And actually, I hope that I didn't judge them in saying that, but I hope that their words just project this for our own benefit not that we aren't at fault for being prideful as well but oprah winfrey said follow your instincts that's where true wisdom manifests itself really because my instincts have really gotten me in trouble a lot of times when i follow god and i follow the holy spirit i stay in peace when i follow sometimes just my natural inclination i get in a lot of trouble i also can get into a lot of pride Because I follow my instincts of like, well, I wouldn't have done it that way. Or, you know what, if he or she would just do X, Y, Z, then they wouldn't have the problem of A, B, C. Follow your instincts? Really? Let's follow Christ. Not something that's inside of us or us. 
The nice thing about being a celebrity is that if you bore people, they think it's their fault. That was said by Henry A. Kissinger. If anyone can figure out how to balance my celebrity and my dual careers in music and film, it's me. I don't feel frightened. I feel challenged. Jennifer Lopez. Donald Trump has a really nice quote here. I love to hate enemies. I love, excuse me, I misquoted him. Sorry, Donald. I love to have enemies. I fight my enemies. I like beating my enemies to the ground. Because there's no pride in that statement, right? Miley Cyrus, who is full of, you know, wisdom for all of us, says, if you believe in yourself, anything is possible. Okay, well, I've believed in myself before, and it's gotten me in a lot of trouble, Miley. And yeah, anything is possible, but not all of it's good. Think about that. I'd like it to be like, if you believe in Christ and follow him, all things good can be possible. Not, you know, you get yourself in a lot of trouble. P.J. O'Rourke, I don't even know who he is, says, if you say a modern celebrity is an adulterer, a pervert, and a drug addict, it all means that you've read his autobiography. Isn't that sad, though? Because those are our celebrities. Those are the people that that this generation, the the generation of children and grandchildren are looking up to. Paris Hilton, I I saved her for last because I thought this was just such an excellent, insightful quote. Um, I think it's important for girls to be confident, believe in yourself, and everybody's hot. Okay, it's easy for us to sit back and listen to these quotes and, you know, because they are celebrities, we are able to make kind of a public stab, which I'm praying that God's not seeing that as judgment from me. But I just wanted to make an example because it's easy for us to see pride in their comments and pride in their lives and pride. But let's look at the symptoms of pride that may not be so apparent in us. Did you know that frustration is a symptom of pride? Are you frustrated a lot? Do you say the word frustrated a lot? Do you say this is frustrating? Frustration is a symptom of pride. Sometimes I have to ask myself when I get frustrated, am I doing this alone or have I asked God to help me? (laughs) And lots of times I realize I am doing this alone. I have set out on my day and I am out of that little chute and I'm going 90 miles an hour, you know, and I haven't even checked in with him at all. Just acknowledge him and he will make our path straight. Wow. What an incredible word. And, and then I think sometimes, too, Matthew 6.33. How important do you take that, Kathleen, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added. He knows you need to talk to the phone people. He knows that AT&T overcharged you. He knows that you need to make a doctor's appointment before they could ever get you in. He knows that the insurance company got everything all mixed up and you've been on a hold with them for 25 minutes. But have you sought him first? 
Because we have a promise here that says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added. In other words, God will be with us. God will be for us. See, because God says himself, I am for the humble, but I set myself against the proud. And the proud are those of us, me, when I decide I can take on my day by myself. Thank you very much. And most of us have never been taught otherwise, and I'm not saying that we should know that. I'm just saying that as Christians, looking at the Bible, it's so upside down how we've been taught. I'm trying to even teach my children, you know, have you checked in with God first on this? When I hear him say, I'm frustrated, so frustrated. Have you asked God's help? No. Don't you think you should? Yes. Okay, do that. See what happens. I'm always so surprised. I also have a little frustration thing that brings up a pride issue is that you know, I, I really love to cook, honestly. I love to cook, cook from scratch. I don't use recipes. I I just love to cook. And, and I cook actually by, by smell. And I'm even sounding prideful as I talk right now, which is so embarrassing because then I'm teaching on pride and I sound prideful. But most people, well, let me just back up. Let me just be obnoxious. Everyone that eats what I cook say, says it's really awesome and can I duplicate it? And I always say, no, I can't because I don't know how I made it. Because I, I go by smell. I don't even taste it before I put it on the table. My husband does not cook. I've been married for almost 24 years. He does not cook. But he is a professional reheater. So he likes to go behind me. And tell me how to reheat the food that I cooked. And it's truly frustrating. Because he tells me in front of the children how to reheat the food that I cooked for them. No, 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 no. Let's not do it that way. If you put it in the microwave, it's going to get real rubbery. But if you put it in the toaster oven. And I realize I'm getting so frustrated with his reheating instructions. And it's pride. It's pride because I subconsciously am thinking, I cooked this. I would know how to reheat it. You're just a professional reheater. And the only thing you've ever made is eggs. I don't know why is that that men only make eggs. If they make anything, unless they cook a lot, which is a whole different issue. But my frustration, I realized, was total pride. Frustration is a symptom of pride. Are you frustrated a lot? Are you impatient a lot? Impatience is a huge symptom of pride. Because impatience indicates self-importance. Do you consider yourself an impatient person? And are you okay with that? Because a lot of people just say, I'm not a very patient person. I'm just not patient. I'm not patient. Well, gosh, that, that's the opposite of what we're supposed to show as part of the fruit of the Spirit. That patience is part of the fruit of the Spirit. And impatience is pride. Romans 12, 10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another and honor. 
My time is more important than a sales lady who can't find a manager to get this thing returned. I'm impatient. I feel impatient. God should make this work for me. God should change this person to make me happier. It's really making me impatient. God should make this happen when and how I say it should happen. I'm really impatient with this. I've been praying for this for a couple of decades. Really? So have a lot of people in the Bible. Just keep it up. We're not supposed to be impatient. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. It's the third fruit of the Spirit. Okay, here's number three, symptom of pride. Are you ready for it? Can you take it? It's called constant criticism. You may think, gosh, that's just not me. But, okay, do you say this a lot? What I would do is... I, 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 if I were you, I would, if I were them, I would, well, if I were her, she just should see, it indicates I'm right and you're wrong. Constant criticism indicates I'm right. You're wrong. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm right. You're wrong. And then I put this little kind of an acronym down like pride all the way down the page, like P R I D E. And I put for that personal right to indicate others are doing as I expect. That's what pride is. It's a personal right to indicate that others are doing or should be doing what I expect. I will not criticize you as long as you do what I expect you to do. Otherwise, I will criticize you because I'm right and you're wrong. Wow. Big, huge indicator of pride. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And, of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. So I think about that. You know, God telling me with this quote from C.S. Lewis, Kathleen, is as long as you're looking down on someone else, then you can't really keep your eyes focused on God. As long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And we look down not only on other people, but sometimes we look down upon ourselves, like in constant criticism of ourselves. And we don't, we don't think of that as pride. Could constant criticism of yourself be pride? Absolutely. Why? Because you're thinking about yourself. I had just an inclusion to this. Um, I was praying this morning when I was rereading this, and I thought, why would we criticize others? Why is it important? Because sometimes it's important to say, well, why do I criticize? Not just, okay, I recognize I do that. God, please help me, forgive me. But why? And, you know, sometimes I think it's self-defense. I guess I shouldn't say I think. The Holy Spirit just kind of put on me self-defense. Sometimes we are with people who are so critical that if we can get them off on criticizing someone else, then they're going to be off of our trail, honestly. And then sometimes it's just gossip, just having something to say. I don't know what it is in the South, but it's like just having something to say. Sometimes we just need to think and pray before we say something. And, 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 and it's not the same as in the north, you know, where you can just be quiet for a while. 
That's what I love about sometimes getting together with women's groups and, and or even the 11th graders at church. You know, I'll ask a question and then we'll be gathered in a circle and there'll be this like super uncomfortable silence. And you'll see all of them just twitching nervously because they've all been taught, fill the silence, fill the silence. It's rude not to say something back. Hit the tennis ball back. It doesn't matter what you say. You could always, you know, worry about that later. I like that. Quietness. Sometimes criticizing others is to make me feel better about myself and my decisions. Honestly. It's to make me feel better about myself and my decisions. And that's pride. P-R-I-D-E, pride. Another indicator of pride is actually doing God's job. (laughs) And I laugh at that because I'm really actually quite good at this, which is prideful in pride, in saying pridefully that I am prideful and pridefully being good at this. But I have to always stop myself. That's why I love Psalm 37 because it shows me and it showed me a long time ago and I needed it desperately desperately in my life at that time and I still need it now but it shows me what is God's job exactly what is my job exactly and I'm going to just read a portion of of Psalm 37 verses 3 through a portion of verse 7 it says trust in the Lord and do good dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. So I'm going to take less time by not asking everybody, okay, think about in that scripture that I just read, pull out exactly what's your job and what's God's job. I've already done it for us. What does God say in the scripture is my job? Trust in the Lord. This is my job. This is your job. Okay? And this is not God's job. This is your job. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land. Feed on his faithfulness. Enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Do we do that very often? Trust in him. Be still before him. And wait patiently for him. That's our job. I don't know many Americans that are even still, much less still before God. And then wait patiently for him. What is God's job? He shall give me the desires of my heart. He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth my righteousness as light and my justice as the noonday sun. See, pride is getting my job mixed up with God's job. And it causes intense lack of peace, intense frustration. It spews over into more and more and more pride because I begin to criticize myself and criticize others. And I'm trying to make something happen. Ask yourself, because this is God's job, do you or are you trying to give yourself or others the the desires of their heart? Are you trying to give yourself or others the desires of their heart? I had to ask myself that. I have a really good friend and a couple of really good friends that I think are so precious. And I 
keep thinking, God, just make the right man appear in my mind so I can tell them so that I can fulfill the desire of their heart. That's his job, not my job, you know? And, and, and it's not bad to pray for someone, but I cannot even, as much as I've tried, make my husband whole or happy. That's God's job. I can't fulfill the desires of his heart. That's God's job. With my children, I want to give them the desires of their heart, and I pray that they follow God, but that's not my job. I can only be their mother. I can't be their Holy Spirit. You try to be your children's Holy Spirit, and you will see lots of rebellion. <laughs> lots. Are you trying to bring something to pass? <laughs> Think about your own life. Are you trying to bring something to pass? Are you trying to bring forth your own righteousness or justice as the light? In other words, are you trying to bring forth the fact that you're right in a certain situation? Another symptom of pride is high self-esteem. I think this is very interesting because it's just, we've been through this whole generation of self-esteem, self-esteem, self-esteem. Children need self-esteem. They need God-esteem. We're talking about esteem. Who do you need to esteem? God. And the more you know of him, the more you know of yourself. Because the Bible says your life is hidden in Jesus Christ. The more you know that God loves you, the more you love yourself. The more you know that he forgives you, the more you forgive yourself. It's not about recognizing myself. Matter of fact, the more that I look at myself, the more I am less sure of myself. And I mean that in a, in a good way. In other words, I'm, I'm such a finite being, and so are you. I still get my blood tested every whatever it is to make sure I don't have leukemia. Talk about a time to kind of sit back and... Look at all the people without hair and that are fighting cancer as I fought cancer and to look at how finite life is. John Piper, who always challenges me, says it horribly skews the meaning of the cross when contemporary prophets of self-esteem say that the cross is a witness to my infinite worth. The biblical perspective is that the cross is a witness to the infinite worth of God's glory and a witness to the immensity of my sin of pride colossians 3 1 through 4 says since you've been raised with christ set your heart on things above where christ is seated at the right hand of god set your mind on things above for you died and your life is now hidden with christ and god when christ who is your life appears then you will appear with him in glory we're setting our hearts, we need to be setting our hearts and our children's hearts and their sights on Jesus because that's how they know who they truly are. So high self-esteem is a sign of pride. And it doesn't mean, okay, then the opposite, then you need to have low self-esteem. No, the opposite to me of high self-esteem is high God-esteem. Either I have high self-esteem or I have high God-esteem. And when I have high God-esteem, that means when he says, Kathleen, don't say the last word, then I don't say the last word. Do I always obey him? No. Do I wish I did? Yes. Do I feel peace when I do? Yes. Do I feel lack of peace when I don't? No. Do I say I'm sorry a lot? Yes. Yes. 
Andrew Murray said, there is nothing so natural to man as pride. I think that's a great quote because that means that's our natural fallen sin nature. There's nothing so natural to man as pride. I mean, we come by it naturally. Honestly, I didn't have to sit down either of my children and say, now listen, you have come to the age and stage to realize that you need to think about yourself. Think about what you want to eat. Think about what you want to do. Think about what you want to play. Think about what toys you don't want to share. This is the time to realize that you are a prideful little being. We never had to teach our children that. It came naturally. It comes naturally to all of us because it's the origin of sin. Have we we thought about that? It's the origin, really, the origin of every sin. If we go back to the beginning... Look at the beginning of the poison of pride. Lucifer, meaning light bearer, most, the most grossly prideful being to exist, because he said, I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. Okay. He's saying in Isaiah 13, 14, I will be like God. Here's the beautiful angel of light saying, I will be as God. I will be like the most high, cause his fall from heaven. And fallen from heaven with a third of the angels with them, we now call them demons. This once angel of light is now the devil, the serpent, the tempter, the embodiment of pride, evil, and the God of this world. Look at 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Who is the God with the little g of this world? He did get his wish. He became God, but he became God of a prideful world, and he, he took what God meant to be an intimate relationship with man and himself, and he corrupted it through sin. Yes, okay, but what was the origin of that sin? We're going to look at it, pride. Pride is the root of all sin. Now I'm saying, ooh, that's kind of out on a limb. You can't really say pride's the root of all sin, can you really? Well, let's look at scriptures and just stay with me. Don't doze on this because this is so important, okay? Don't get distracted. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than the beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you should not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat or touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows, Genesis 3.5, that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What is Satan tempting her with? People like to say the fruit. No, <laughs> he's tempting her with the idea of being like God. He's tempting the created to be, to, to ascend to want to be as the creator. He's, he's, it's the fruit of pride. It's the root. It's the beginning. It's the root of all sin. And when the woman saw that the tree was good, because you know what? Pride really does look good to us. And being like God, gosh, that's a good thing. I would like to ascend to a higher level. And I know you would too. And that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate, and she also gave it to her husband, and he ate. And then both their eyes were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. 
And we can go on through Genesis 3.12. Because even pride looks at someone else. (laughs) Because if you look and say, Genesis 3.9, let's go there. Then the Lord God called the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, because he was hiding from God's presence. And all of a sudden he was shameful. Did you know that pride actually brings us shame? We just don't realize it. Like hidden shame, unconscious shame. Pride actually also makes us subconsciously kind of hide from God. Like I don't really want light shine on that place. I kind of like it the way it is. It feels good. feels natural. Really? So does it feel? It feels natural when a two-year-old has a complete fit in the middle of the room. And cries and cries and bangs their head against the floor. And that's the way we look to God about half the time when it's like my way or the highway. (laughs) I'm right, you're wrong. Pride. But I love this. (laughs) I love what the woman did. Because um, here in in, uh, Genesis 3, it said, um, Adam answered God and said, I heard the... I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And instead of saying, Yes, I have, the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Pride! Oh, my gosh! Already, pride is blaming someone else. Just say, Yes, I did. I ate of the tree. Because... The serpent told my wife, and I was there too, that this tree was going to make us as gods. It was going to make us wise. It's the one tree you told us not to eat of, but it just looked so good. And it sounded so good. And it just was, but it's not my fault, it's hers. Really? One thing that just gets on my nerves, and I'll just be really honest with you. Of course, we just had the weekend. Today's Monday, so you can imagine where I'm getting this information. But it's when certain family members, not in this room, say, I'm sorry, but it just reminds me of Adam. Like, yes, I did eat of the tree, but Eve gave it to me. And not only that, he says, the woman you made for me. I mean, like, it's God's fault. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we do the same thing. It's like, Oh, God, this husband you gave me is causing me to sin. I am angry and I am being unforgiving in this area because this husband you gave me is causing me to be. Hmm. What the heck was that? A two-year-old throwing a tantrum on the floor, Adam answering God, pride. It's pride. And it does. It, 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 it When one of my kids says, or one of my children, because people keep saying, do you have goats? I'm like, no. Um, When one of my children says, I know we get lots of ministry mail, it's really interesting, um, says to me, I'm sorry, but it really was, you know, Maddie's fault because she's the one that told me to da-da-da. I'm sorry, but that doesn't cut it. I'm sorry. This was my responsibility name it, and then you can be forgiven. There's no, I'm sorry, but. The root of all sin, Genesis 3, 13. Because God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, 
The serpent deceived me and I ate. Okay, here we go. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the devil. Okay, that is so, I mean, that is so still the way it is. Seriously. Lacey blames me. I blame the devil. And a lot of our households, seriously, most time the women are sometimes a little more spiritually connected because we have more time. And, And we've been to Bible studies and we're aware of spiritual warfare and and our husbands will somehow blame us, and then we'll blame the devil. I had two or three papers put in front of me by an unnamed 11-year-old at an unnamed school that were in the F and D range, and they were put in front of me this weekend by my husband, who did nothing but put them in front of me as if to say, what are you doing with our son after school? And so he's blaming me unspokenly. And then I'm thinking, this is spiritual warfare. The devil did this. No, it's really that Storm just didn't disclose. I'm sorry I used his name, but I'm sure you figured out who he is. And he doesn't listen to the radio, so I think I'm safe. He doesn't like to disclose all of his homework because he doesn't like to do it all. I blame the devil and Lacey blames me and we keep going in that direction. Well, didn't that happen with Adam and Eve? I think that's pretty funny. Pride, we need to recognize it. We need to admit it. We need to say and claim it and we need to ask God to change us. God, help me not to need to be right. God, help me to put other people before me. God, help me to put you before me. God, help me to teach my children to not be selfish. God, I know it's my first inclination to be prideful, so have my eyes be open. Remove the scales from my eyes. Help me, Lord, to do everything in humility. Help me, Lord, to do the things on this earth that count. Help me, Lord, not to be working, working, working your job because that's pride. And then I'm not doing my job. I'm to trust in you with all of my heart and not lean on my own understanding, but in all of my ways acknowledge you and you'll make my way straight. I'm to go to you. I'm to defer to you. I want you to be my Savior, and you are. But I also want you to be my Lord, meaning I've given my life to you. Lord Jesus, thank you for humbling yourself to die for our pride. So that we may be delivered from it and have a relationship with God. Go to livingjesus.us to hear the rest of Kathleen's message and hundreds more at no cost. Thousands of people in 40 countries download Kathleen's scripture-filled, Jesus-inspired, real-life messages at an increasing rate. Jesus said, freely you received, freely give, Matthew 10.8. If you are able, financially join us in reaching the world for Jesus. Go to livingjesus.us and freely give so that those who could never pay will continue to freely receive.